Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is here. The greatest walk-on in UMass basketball history. Just a, a more simple intro today, Penny. That's great. I had a friend ask me how much I paid you for the last intro. <laughs> like we went back and forth. You mentioned Tom Brady. Can you throw Julian Edelman in there too? Julian Edelman, man. I mean, it was funny. Like when I was living in Los Angeles, you'd see like billboards of Julian Edelman, like modeling uh, for random things when you would go by the Beverly Center in Hollywood. So I, I don't know if I'm ready to go there with you, Penny. No, you did last time you threw it out there. I'm not ready to go full Edelman yet either. I'm just yeah. honored to be uh, mentioned in the same breath, albeit way off base. Are you uh, Are you still in on Tom Brady? Or are you out now that he plays for Tampa? That's a very sore subject. I, I am. It's like watching an old friend from afar who moves and goes to like a different <laughs> school and they can't be best friends anymore. It's hard not to be. You cheer for the good ones and then the, the bad games you say like, ah, see, that's the way it played out. Belichick knew what he was doing. But I, I can't quit him. Best football player of all time. Brought a, a lot of happiness to New England. Can't just close the door. All right, Penny. Today on the show, we are going to do a first look at a 2021 NBA mock draft. Now, this is this is a tough one <laughs> right now. This is a this is your this, right. a, this is your idea for the record, though. <laughs> I, I was watching the games last night. Like, hey, pod work tomorrow? Yeah, sounds great. What are you going to do? 2021 mock draft. I said, okay, let's do it. Let's fire it up. It's, so we're two weeks into the season and we've seen a lot. Like this is the first time we've seen a lot of these kids in eight months. So I think it's worth somewhat updating what we've seen. Now, I think it's worth putting a lot of this into context before we do it. Right. The first thing that I want to say is that this season, I'm glad it's happening because it's a really good evaluation tool for us. Like we can get into the ethical dilemmas of whether or not it should be happening because of the COVID pandemic that is raging across the United States right now. Uh, Coach K got into that a little bit last night after Duke's heinous loss to Illinois. But from an evaluation standpoint, it has been very helpful to see where these kids are. Now, where are you in terms of what we've seen so far and what it means? Because part of me wants to just like throw out a lot of what we've seen from the freshmen so far, because especially for a team like, for instance, Kentucky, who you and I have talked about at length, it's an abbreviated preseason with a team that has literally all new pieces in its rotation. How do we go about evaluating them compared to someone like a uh, Keontae Johnson and Trey Mann, who have been at Florida now for multiple years? There's definitely a smaller sample size, but the, the season as a whole is going to be a smaller sample size too, especially with games that we thought would happen in an abbreviated season getting canceled. I mean, we, we're supposed to have a good one tonight, Michigan State, Virginia, with the battle of the Housers for ultimate Houser supremacy, and that was postponed or canceled or delayed. So we kind of have to watch 
what we have. I, I like having some games. You got to take all this stuff with a grain of salt because even some of the guys that we'll mention here have played four games, five games, and two of them you kind of like throw out the window immediately. I mean, there's guys in the lottery who like the first two games just weren't great. You have a an Arkansas team, a guy like Moses Moody, who I like a lot. I mean, they scored 142 points against Mississippi Valley State. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's a normal evaluation tool, but it helps kind of frame the the bigger picture of we've seen what the higher end guys have done on the grassroots level. Now you get to see what they've done here in college. Maybe if you're lucky, a little bit of USAB. So it's not the perfect picture, but it's certainly better than nothing. If the season didn't happen, are we more in a situation kind of like last year where there's so much time off between the end of the canceled season and the NBA draft that at the end we're just kind of driving ourselves crazy? Like Jalen Suggs has been a different player than, than I anticipate him seeing, so I'm thankful I'm able to see him with a team like Gonzaga. Um, I'm thankful that I'm able to see Cade Cunningham with Oklahoma State without having two other top 10, 12, 15 picks in the draft as well. So thankful that it's here, not perfect, not an exact science, but it's it's better than no games at all. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up two very positive players that have, I think, raised their, uh, I don't want to say stock, but like raised their estimation in the minds of scouts so far in Cade and Jalen Suggs. It's hard for me to figure out what to do with guys like BJ Boston and, uh, you know, even Keon Johnson, I think, only looked okay in Tennessee's opener yesterday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was waiting for that one because I, I think you had him, what, fifth? Yeah, and... And he had more turnovers than points last night. I mean, that's going to happen, but he had this... He was MVP of October Well, let, let's let's wait to talk about Keon. That's because, fine. I'm saying, like, the, the, the hype yeah. was there... It was kind of warranted. He's got one game, so it's not the full full thing yet. Right. And like, what do we do with like Trey Mann, who is like a pop up guy that looks, you know, post hype sleeper first round pick guy? Um, what do we do with Kai Jones? What do we do with um, guys that have struggled like Caleb Love has not been very good for North Carolina so far. So it's it's difficult to try to determine when to jump ship with a lot of these younger freshmen, given that it's just really early and it's really hard this season for these guys to get ingratiated into their rosters. I did drop some of these guys like BJ Boston and Caleb Love and, um, you know, a few others. Greg Brown has struggled so far for Texas. Like he's not as high as he was on my initial board. Like it, it's just difficult for me to figure out how to, evaluate what we've seen in comparison to the past cycles of freshmen that oh yeah they've kind of struggled early and then they figure it out or oh they've kind of struggled early and it was a harbinger of like disaster over the course of their freshman season and we still have time it's still it's still december i mean knock on wood hopefully we play through march we have a lot more games to evaluate and we don't have to just be back to a corner of, of four or five games, probably two or three of them against some level of inferior competition with the Champions Classic, the this kind of Big Ten ACC thing, like withstanding. Some better teams have played, but there's also been the bye games are still happening to some level too. Yeah, and part of why I wanted to do this now 
is that, look, we have a couple of good games tonight. Like Florida State, Indiana is interesting for the Scotty Barnes versus Trace Jackson Davis look that we'll get. Um, you know, over the weekend, we're going to get or, or uh, later this week, I'm sorry, we're going to get Arizona State and San Diego State where we get Marcus Bagley against Matt Mitchell. Plus, we get Josh Christopher in that game. You know, Iowa has another matchup against a high major team in Iowa State. Uh, Florida, Florida State is on Saturday, if I remember correctly. So yeah, there well, are, yeah. there are some interesting prospect games that are coming, but you know, it's not going to be as like nightly as it's been for the first two weeks where Every single night, there's a fascinating prospect game that you can really like dig your teeth into. Like next last Monday, there was nothing. This next Monday, like the best game is Rutgers, Maryland. And, you know, not to shit on either of those two teams. I think they're both actually really good college basketball teams, but you know, neither of those two teams really have anyone that is likely to be picked in the top 40, uh, given that. It seems Aaron Wiggins has not really fixed his jumper. Uh, you know, maybe Ron Harper continues to be the guy that he's been so far for Rutgers and, you know, forces his way into that conversation. But right now, like, I, I feel like it's a good time to reset before we start to get into conference play. And also Sunday, we have Texas Baylor and Stanford USC. Like, that's a, that's a really good one Sunday night. If it's not a million games a night, I'm okay with that too. I mean, yesterday was awesome with you had three games in a row, but then also had sneaky Tennessee, who we hadn't seen yet, play Colorado. We, we've seen Duke. We saw Illinois. But to get a, a different look, a different feel, you don't have a million scouts and, and GMs there. So we're all, we're all kind of watching it under the same lens right now, which is very different. Yeah. Um, okay, let's just get into this. Let's do it because we're going to talk a bunch about prospects as it is so uh, one thing here before we get into it uh how spot on was my officiating rant uh, oh god i i didn't know last podcast <laughs> I, I had i had a queued up for and this will be very quick so i'm watching the games last night i'm trying to tweet just like a little bit more so there's some like depth to me coming on the show and not just like some idiot friend who you like making jokes with so i i sent out two very like surface level tweets one about luca garza one about use ponds from tennessee is like the most interesting man in the world so i i send out the tweets i'm watching the game i'm watching the last one duke illinois is wrapping up and i pick up my phone and i have 25 notifications i'm like whoa this is crazy like some tennessee group must have got this and retweeting it like gonna get a million followers nope it's you tagging me in a tweet <laughs> about refs so i'm just scrolling like refs 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 so i I just curious if like when you were younger did someone like break into your house wearing like a referee shirt or something like who hurt you to get you here with the refs well like and i texted you this talking about how terrible the officiating has been <laughs> and has been for years <laughs> now for years yeah. now is the most universally agreed upon thing within college basketball. Everyone within the college basketball ecosystem understands and knows that the officiating has been fucking garbage for years. <laughs> like, Oh man. I don't think people leave games at any level, whether it's youth, grassroots, high school, college pro and say those refs nailed it. It was their day today. They got everything right. 
But the level even to guys, which even a guy calls a great game, somebody's got to be yelling at him about a blown block charge call. It's just it's going to happen. Yeah, I get that. But the level to which NBA officiating is more consistent and is like better in terms of what it rewards than college basketball is staggering. Like it, I, I go from watching NBA games to watching college games and I swear to God, dude, I think that the talent disparity in the officiating is just as equal to the talent disparity <laughs> in regard to the actual talent on the court. Oh, and that is an enormous difference. You. Yeah, I know, like, I know, I know. It's, it's just inconceivable to me that we can't teach officials on the college level to not reward these fucking unathletic players who just stand there and hold their nuts so that they take these charge calls instead of actually trying to defend. The one on Joey Baker last night where Ayutasunmu drove into Joey Baker and barely contacted him and Joey Baker went down like he was the leaning tower of Pisa. Like, why would you want to reward that as a basketball community? I, I guess that's what it comes to for me. Why why are we rewarding that? Because he's not even making an attempt to defend. He's not even making an attempt to establish position first in order to make a play on the ball handler or make a play uh on what is happening around him. He's just standing there and not actually trying to play defense and getting rewarded for it. It's really just unacceptable to me in every regard and we need to do better as a basketball community. We need to do better as a college basketball community in calling out that bullshit. And then, by the way, it wasn't even the worst call within that 30-minute stretch because in the Syracuse-Rutgers game, uh, Quincy Garrier flopped his ass off and got rewarded with a technical foul call that very easily could have been overturned – or a flagrant foul call, I'm sorry – that very easily could have been overturned because they went to the monitor. So look at it. And they still didn't overturn it. If we can't even get the calls right whenever you're going to the monitor to look at it, what are we doing here? What we're doing here is you are solidifying your place as like the poster, the face on like the ref headquarter dartboard, like throughout the world. That you're 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 really establishing yourself as the number one villain. I great. I hope that like <laughs> we start to round together yeah. around me as a community and that the NCAA starts to put better uh resources into officiating. Because again, I don't blame the individual officials. This is how they're told to officiate. I blame the NCAA for continuing to officiate it this way and uh for not putting the resources necessary into creating better livelihoods for these officials who travel around like crazy are overworked and are given instructions to reward unathletic plays like what joey baker did last night my new year's resolution for you is you find peace in this the the officiating improves and we can get to a a better place in 2021 for everyone right now it's not great it's bad man okay let's uh let's take a quick break and then we'll get into the mock draft after my voice finally drops and doesn't crack anymore (music) 
Okay, and we're back. Penny, I am going to be very kind and give you the number one overall pick in our uh, updated 2021 mock draft. I'm actually shocked you gave me the first pick because you always complain about picks. I have my Sharpie out, so if you hear that in the in the background, that's just the Sharpie. It's not me doing something weird. First pick, still the first pick for me. It's been the first pick for a while. Going with Cade Cunningham, Oklahoma State, guard, six foot eight, freshman. I don't know what else there really is to say about Cade that we haven't covered the last three, four podcasts. He's shown the full package, has size, has feel, has leadership. There's a little bit of question on the first step burst, which we can argue about, but he'll be really good with other NBA players around him to ease the offensive load and the defensive schemes that are thrown at him. For me, there's no really debate on him being the first overall pick, and and he's really even showing more growth in his game, hitting deep threes off the bounce, step backs. If the three, it's been a small sample size. Sample size is the word we're going to repeat a million times. I am anyway, this pod. If the sample size expands and he can keep shooting the way he is, like it's a, I thought it was a no brainer before, but you can write it in, in marker long before the actual draft. Did you watch any of the game last night against Oral Roberts yet? I just like kind of caught a little bit of it. No, uh, just, just yesterday, so it, yesterday was the, the triple header of, of Doom. So I did not see the game yet. So yeah, Cade dropped like 11 points in the final minute in order to ice that thing away for Oklahoma State. It was just absolutely glorious. He made another quick little jumper with like five minutes left. He got fouled like the possession before that. It, like they were in a dogfight because the rest of the Oklahoma State team is just not very good around him. Like we can just call it what it is. And Cade just totally took over late in a way that uh you hope to see a future star player uh do uh, it was it was everything that you could have possibly asked for from Cade Cunningham in a late game setting yeah and, and that's not really been a knock but i i as a slight critique i'd say last time that he's unselfish to a fault you want him to take over a little bit more so if he's getting there now game i don't know what it is for him four or five it's a it's a great sign that this thing's gonna continue to grow and blossom okay so i'm up that's easy yeah you're up easy one's done the easy one is done uh the tough one is now at our feet and i'm gonna go evan mobley at number two I think that that's probably like a little bit of a surprise to people, maybe. But uh, I don't. I don't know. He's he's been really good. I'm not. I'm not surprised. I had him slaughtered too, as well. I'm on. Yeah. I'm on the riding the wave. Every single thing that Evan Mobley has done so far this year has been impressive to me. He is ambidextrous in terms of his way that he can handle the ball with both his right and left hand. He is indeed an ambi turner, to quote. Ben Stiller in Zoolander. He is averaging 17.6 points and nine rebounds with three blocks and two assists a game. He can really pass out of the post. His footwork is exceptional. He is still figuring it out defensively in terms of his rotations. Like a lot of these guys are at the end of the day, right? None of these guys are perfect right now in terms of their defensive rotations, but what he is 
doing is still finding a way to make an impact. Like there will be full possessions where he goes like 25 seconds where he's just lost on the court and doesn't know where to be. And then someone drives and he just like completely erases the shot and makes an enormous impact defensively. He's shooting 60% from the field, despite the fact that USC has not played like a disaster schedule. It hasn't been incredible or anything, but it's been an okay schedule so far. Uh, he's shooting the ball from distance. He's taking two three-pointers a game and making them at 44%. Small sample, I'm aware, but uh, he's done really well there so far. He's really exceptional in dribble handoffs and in ball screen settings. You can short roll him. You can roll him all the way to the basket. You can pick and pop him. Uh, he can be a defensive stopper. There have been some questions about his motor and his uh, willingness to like play through when times get difficult. But so far, I think he's really done a good job of kind of dispelling those a little bit. Like he has at times gotten angry whenever things don't go his way necessarily and kind of taken over and dominated a little bit. Like you see Irvine last night, he goes for 22 and 11 against a team that tends to have a really good interior, like Russ Turner and uh, UC Irvine. They build their team from the inside out and try to make it tough for opposing bigs to do anything. And, I mean, he just completely mopped the floor with them. He mopped the floor with BYU. I thought he was by far the best player in the UConn game, uh, despite the fact that James Booknight started that game as well as he possibly could have. E- everything I've seen from Evan Mobley makes me believe that this is an all-star, super high-level big man. I think he is fairly far ahead of where James Wiseman was uh, at this point last year. Yeah, you basically read all my prepped bullet points for him. And it's against my nature, kind of just to, to take bigs this high. But with all the uncertainty of the other players in kind of this grouping right now, uh, it, it does make sense to me. The three-point stuff is intriguing. I think he's only taken nine, but he's hit four of them. So if he makes that a threat, in addition to the short rolls, the pick and pops, the pick and rolls all the way to the rim, the face-up stuff, then he's rim running too. Uh, he'll be even more of a threat than we thought he would be. <clears throat> the the motor stuff and the engagement level was always kind of a knack, a call out a little bit. He seems engaged. He seems engaged on the glass. He still needs to get, he looks bigger physically, but he's held his ground enough on the boards, obviously for nine a game. So he's played out even better than what I had anticipator projected for him this season so for for number two that's that's a very safe pick yeah i could not agree more with you matt you're up at number three so number three i just said the safest pick i'm not saying it's the wildest pick but as we're on here now you're we're getting more tweets about the g league bubble and you have a handful of teams opting out opting in i don't know the g league ignite schedule Regardless, based on what I've seen in the grassroots level, third overall, I'm going to go with Jalen Green, 6'5 guard, playing on that G League Ignite team this year. Elite level athlete with size, with length, has real potential as a defender, getting better with the shooting, getting better coming off pick and roll. Such a great first step. Keeps his man on his hip when he's driving, and then he can really elevate in traffic. He doesn't bail out. He tries to dunk on guys. My kind of question... I'm curious to what his stock would be right now if he played at, say, Memphis or UCLA or Kentucky, just because 
a guy who we'll talk about soon, Jalen Suggs, has used the, the college basketball platform to really announce himself as a, a solid top five pick. Not that Jalen Green is slipping by any means, but you, you just don't have the tape. You don't have the games. You don't have the competition to really use that as a barometer against other guys in the draft right now. Yeah, and I think that's 100% right. We just haven't seen Jalen Green yet. It's really interesting to me to try and figure out what he would have looked like in college. I would imagine that we would see some pretty real inefficiency from him, just because that's been his brand whenever he's been given the ball and just told, you have free reign to go score. I also think he'd be averaging 20 points a night at Memphis right now if he would have gone to Memphis. Like, it's... He's he probably would have been averaging 20 points a night while shooting 40% from three and 32% or 40% from the field and 32% from three through five games or whatever. And that would be fine. And I think we'd be in a space where it's like, okay, he'll figure out the efficiency stuff throughout the course of the year and the volume and the shot creation ability that we've seen so far. Uh, has just been exceptional and elite. So yeah, I, I think that Jalen Green is a totally reasonable pick here. I had him uh, at three, four, like I had him with Jalen Suggs, who will be my pick at number four. We'll just go there. Right. Good segue. Uh, Jalen Suggs at number four for me. And by the way, we should mention in the middle of this, that like we're doing this team agnostic. Like we're not um, like projecting these guys to any teams right now. So what I like about Jalen Suggs and why I think he has entered the conversation of being in that same tier with Jalen Green is the level of polish as a finisher and shooter, I think is a little bit ahead of where Jalen Green is the last time that we saw Jalen Green, at least, right? Which was eight months ago, and it's very possible that he's taken a leap and has improved this. But just Jalen Green's dexterity around the basket, his ability to hang, his ability to change the angle on rim protectors, his ability to... uh just make life very difficult with his touch shots around the basket for guys to contest. It's been exceptionally impressive. His passing ability was even a little, it's even a little bit better than what I thought it was. Uh, I knew that he could really operate and pick and roll. And I knew that he was good at reading the second, third level of defenses for a freshman, like for an incoming freshman. But I didn't think that it would look like just straight up good for a college basketball player. He is already an exceedingly high level passer. And look, part of this is like Gonzaga's offense naturally inflates point guard assists coming out of ball screens because there are just easier reads because Mark Few and that staff are fucking incredible at back, like coaching basketball, right? They're so good at getting point guards ready to play and putting them in position to where they can make easier reads as opposed to more complicated reads. Like, you know, Jalen Suggs can find that little dump off entry pass into Drew Timmy basically whenever he wants. He can find that same side kick out whenever he wants. So I don't mean that though to denigrate what Suggs is doing it's just worth contextualizing that Jalen Suggs is surrounded by Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, uh, Joel Ayayi, Andrew Nemhard, Umar Balo is a potential draft pick at some point. There are some people who think Anton Watson is a draft pick at some point. I don't know that I'm quite there, but he is surrounded by talent that not only fits what he is capable of on the court, 
but is also just really good and is experienced and has played college basketball before. So I think he's in a place where his life is a bit easier than, say, BJ Boston's or, say, uh, Terrence Clark's or Jalen Johnson's or Keon Johnson's even. Having said that, what he's done so far has been exceptionally impressive from a skill perspective as a shooter, as a passer, as a finisher, and uh, as an overall athlete playing out of pick and roll to where uh, it, it's hard for me to get him out of the top five right now. I don't think that you can. Nor should you. And just my, my quick hitters to add to that. For me, he's the highest stock riser of the season because I thought he'd be a lottery pick. I didn't think we'd be talking about him in the top four, top five conversation. He's averaged 13, 6, and 5 with really one game of, I'd say, half stats due to injury. And even when he came back, he wasn't really himself. Definitely better than advertising pick and roll, especially with changes of pace, direction, burst. And you hit on it. He's just been so unselfish and seamlessly fit into this Gonzaga culture. And Dana O'Neill wrote about it on The Athletic. I don't know, it was today or yesterday. But just like they recruit, their board is like seven guys. They're not one of these schools that's going to have offers out to everybody and they said that almost Suggs had to convince them about like okay well like how do you fit here and it worked out obviously for both of them because the weapons he has at his disposal if you will for lack of a better term have made him look even better and elevated his personal stock up to as high as top five some places yeah I would encourage more recruits I mean like look I probably shouldn't do this necessarily but like Guard recruits should really strongly look at going to Gonzaga, I think. Oh, I'd love to see your cell phone when you post this. Okay. The, the only reason that I say this is I'm because... I'm not saying that, friends. Yeah. Yeah, the reason that I say that is because they get put into position to succeed. There are other schemes in college basketball that do not put you in pick and roll as often as Gonzaga does, that do not surround you with, like sophomores juniors seniors guys that have been there for a while that are talented it makes sense for me for more guards to consider gonzaga like i don't really care about like programs at the college basketball level i care about kids putting themselves into the best position to succeed and look gonzaga like has a track record of helping guys at the end of the day i'm sorry and you kind of have to hope that gonzaga considers you as well like they're not just gonna yeah recruit everybody and the pick and roll stuff too it's yes they set you up and pick and roll with with great shooters on the wings and then skilled bigs that can bail you out if you get trapped and hit there they'll hit back down low and they can swing it out and reverse it and there's times when Suggs drives baseline and gets trapped and he kind of like throws that hammer action pass opposite and oh yeah here's a 47 percent three-point shooter right so that helps yeah yeah no uh let's move on you're up at number five number five let's stay weird let's stay g league bubble Probably a little higher than you, but I'm going to go with Jonathan Kaminga from the G League Ignite forward, six foot eight, would be a freshman, but not really. He's still this mystery man-ish because of injuries the last high school season, because of lack of, of footage. Let's hope that this G League bubble thing happens so we can watch him more. Just a strong, big-bodied wing at six foot eight, can guard multiple spots, score multiple ways. I'm interested to see how he's kind of used. Like, if he, is he used as kind of like this? hybrid three four is he used kind of like in a point forward ish role sometimes they use with the shoulders the elbows he was a monster in high school especially in transition when healthy and you look 
<laughs> back to the bubble. If you look to the bubble the way you wanted these kind of like interchangeable six, seven, six, eight guys, he fits that mold of the modern NBA player. Okay. I don't really have anything to add to Kaminga, to be honest, okay. because we haven't seen him. <laughs> I thought, like, yeah, I thought you had this big thing. Like, okay, that is way too high. But next, no, I have him at five. Uh, I would imagine yeah. that this is probably going to be the last pick that we probably agree on the rest of the oh, okay. <laughs> in terms of like, like I think that those five right now are the guys that I feel best about having in the top five. Kaminga uh, has just been too productive at lower levels and has too much of a burgeoning three point shot, too much of a. Uh, potential to be a shot creator as like a six foot seven six foot eight like wing forward type that it's hard to have him outside of the top five given what we've seen so far and given that we haven't seen him in college basketball right 100 percent. yep so prove, okay prove number six yeah. <laughs> this this is what i'm gonna get texts about i still have keon johnson at number six. Oh, okay let's do it and he did not look great yesterday I would say. Uh, I think that the turnover numbers overstate how bad he was. Um, there were two that were not particularly uh, his fault. But there were also two that were like just atrocious. They put him at lead guard midway through the second half. And he was awesome for like th- a three or four minute stretch. He was so valuable, so useful. Uh, they had their best ball movement of the half over the course of that stretch. They were uh, really actually moving on offense for the first time uh, in that game against Colorado. And it was in part because he was driving and he was finding like little, you know, dump off passes in the middle of the lane for John Fulkerson or maybe it was Anasiki. I can't remember. Um, he was swinging the ball around the perimeter and getting, uh, Colorado moving within that zone. He was really making it harder for Colorado to defend them. And then he comes down for two straight possessions and throws two unequivocally disastrously lazy passes that are completely unacceptable. And Rick Barnes pulled them and didn't play him the rest of the game. So. The offense is going to be a mixed bag. He had a really nice, like, uh, two dribble pull up on the left side, like going toward his left that I thought was interesting. Um, Gonzaga's defense or, uh, Tennessee's defense was considerably better when he was on the court. Uh, they gave up 58 points per 100 possessions when he was on the court in that game. He completely obliterated McKinley Wright on defense. Like, McKinley Wright is a what he'll be like a Pac-12 player of the year contender, right? Yeah, I'd be the mix. Yeah, yeah, like completely obliterated him. Could not McKinley Wright could not do a single thing against Keon Johnson. If you add elite level defense to high level driving, hopefully high level shot making, I'm still intrigued with what we see from Keon Johnson. But there are, there are concerns after the first game. His handle is too high. Um, you know, just doesn't, doesn't quite have as much shiftiness as what I was hoping. He was playing his own and there are reasons to not like get hyper concerned, I think. But, um, nonetheless, Keon Johnson raised some alarm bells to where it's worth dropping him one spot for me, but 
this is this is where the concerns start for me because i don't have uh, a great feel for the rest of how this lottery should shake out i i love that you're doubling down i I really do and you rattled off more stats for a guy that had four points and five turnovers in 13 minutes than possible you're turning into like a a grassroots dad the coach pulled him but he did this all jokes aside i I, I am keon johnson's Johnson's grassroots dad that is correct (laughs) You're the program director, yeah, EAB. Uh, look, he, we talked about it briefly. His stock really took off at that USAB minicamp. He was MVP. He's an energy guy, upside, quick twitch. He did catch a lob in that game. He made a few nice defensive plays. He's going to carry that winner tag with him. He has to put all the pieces together, and that Tennessee team needs him, but like a Gonzaga, they're also this veteran group that, like, it's a nice addition, but they're still going to rock on without him, too. He'll, he'll definitely be a big part of it. Uh, I see. I, I will say I think that they need him. Uh, yeah. I, again, I'm not I'm not dismissing. I'm just saying, like, they're, they're five. They rolled out there, and then Springer only played nine minutes. He played 13 minutes. Like, they they got a good little bench going, too. Uh, I'm not as I'm not as high. I'm, I'm not mad at you. I like with you sticking with your guy just a, a little higher than I have him right now. I think yeah, I'm and I, like 12 as like a hedge. I totally get that. Like based off of what we saw in game one, you are closer to where I should be than I frankly am. Uh, I think that they're going to need him because I did not really like what I saw from Josiah Jordan James. Uh, Victor Bailey has apparently been very, very good in practice for them, from what I gather. Uh, I didn't love what I saw from him yesterday, but we'll see kind of how that goes and plays out over the course of the year. He was really valuable on uh, defense more as more than as a shot maker, but he still has like that funky hitch to his shot. But Victor Bailey is a guy to apparently keep an eye on, given just kind of what my understanding is of how Tennessee has looked in practice. Yeah, very good athlete too. Known for that. Yeah, uh, so um, you piled on. I, I piled on. I piled on you for your pick. It's it's time for you to pile on me because this is kind of like my hedge too. Okay. So sixth overall, I'm going with Jalen Johnson from Duke. Yeah, you're quite a bit higher than I am, but I get it. Yeah, that's fine. So I'm drafting here as a hope he somehow splits the difference between the Coppin State Jalen Johnson in the the Illinois game Jalen Johnson. Duke has used him at the three, the four, and the five to varying levels of success, but shows he's able to do it. Still a creative playmaker, a solid enough driver. The jumper definitely is a concern, definitely a weakness. Without piling on again, the Duke guards haven't really done him any favors for making the game easier on him either. It comes off that he's trying to produce and do too much every time he touches the ball. And despite all this, he's still averaging 12 and 8, only two assists a game, which is deceiving because there are kind of similar to some of these Kay Cunningham things where the guys just simply aren't making shots, aren't finishing layups. Yeah, I don't doubt the passing at all. Yeah, and look, I I really like Jalen Johnson on the grassroots circuit. I think he figures it out. I don't know if Duke necessarily 100% figures it out, but he's going to be better in an NBA system than he is right now. How concerned are you that if you take out the Coppin State game, Jalen Johnson is averaging nine points, four and a half rebounds, 0.7 assists, and two turnovers? You just said you didn't care about the assist numbers. Are you turning <laughs> back on me? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, look, it, it, it's concerning, but we, we let off the show with this, saying, like, okay, there's there's four games we don't know what to do. This is, I guess, what I'm doing here. I, I just like his his versatility. Yeah, He's never going to average 19 rebounds a game, but it's it's worth a... Uh, it's worth a little bit of a gamble. It, I, I, you said it. It gets a little bit muddy from here down to, to right about thirty for us. Yeah, the reason. So, we, so I had Jalen at fourteen. Um, okay. So I, he actually has like raised himself like a little bit in my estimation from where I had him in the preseason. Right. The the possession that caused the most concern for me was that he got Kofi Coburn on an island at the top of the key, and could not be Kofi Coburn. Uh, in ISO going toward the basket. That was, that was an eye opener for me in a way that I am, uh, gonna struggle to get out of my head. It's burned. It's burned in your memory. Yeah. Uh, that, and like, <laughs> I talked to multiple scouts about that yesterday and it's burned in their memory too. <laughs> so, um, uh, you have more inside track than me, but that that's basically a switch. You you reached on on Keon, I reached on Jalen, so yeah. now we're we're with you. We're even. Okay. Yeah. Oh God. Um. Oh, I'm between two guys, uh, and neither of them have been particularly great, and they both went to the same high school. Um. Yeah. I'm going to go BJ Boston here today. Okay. I like it. Uh, I don't feel great about it. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel great about it at all, to be frank. Uh, he has been bad. He has been like borderline. He actually, it's not borderline. Like I think he's been a net negative for Kentucky at a lot of points this year. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the numbers now. I mean, it, it's, it's been ugly so far for bj boston at, at least he was hitting threes against georgia tech we we crushed him for that he was three for seven from three in a loss to georgia tech yeah so 45.9 true shooting percentage 17.4 turnover rate versus a 7.1 assist rate uh does not defend like we can just say that like does does or, not defend or pass <laughs> does not defend or pass which is a problem yeah. because he actually has been fine when he's been inside the arc. Like he's 20 for 40 from two point range and gets to the line, like a not insignificant amount other than that Georgia tech game. Right. Like he has really positive extension finishing ability. The problem is that on this Kentucky team, he doesn't get that opportunity because everyone just collapses the lane against them and it makes it really, really hard for his particular style of game to succeed. He is best as kind of an advantage scorer who can find those little creases and is really shifty at finding those little creases once he attacks aggressively and getting to the rim and scoring or getting into the mid-range game and like tossing up a little floater. I, yeah, I'm not ringing. I'm not ringing the alarm yet on him, but like my hands on the buzzer. Like I'm, I'm concerned. Yeah. I, the, the only reason the I'm ringing the alarm was, is like yeah. that he has not been an effective player at all this year because the passing and defense has been exceptionally bad. Um, he's been really, really bad at those two particular aspects. And if he can't do either of those things, it means that he has to score, and he has not been able to score. Yeah, I mean, you're still taking him. I think we're like eighth, so it's not like a huge slot. I had him tenth 
We just yeah. haven't seen the Sierra Canyon BJ Boston yet, where he's slicing defenses and step backs and finishing at the rim. He's still an upside play. His body's going to fill out. He started with this shooting slump, hoping to turn the corner, getting a little bit better now, higher than than I have him. But I get it. Yeah, not that much higher because I'm taking him here at eight, and you have him right. at 10. ten. Like ten, yep. I think this is the range for BJ Boston right now. Um, I hope he figures it out. Like I'm, I do. Yeah, and I think Kentucky will. Like I think part of this is that Kentucky still is kind of a mess, and hopefully when we see them coming up on Saturday against Notre Dame and then the next Saturday against UCLA and then the next Saturday against Louisville, uh, they only have two games in two weeks. So they can actually like start to figure out how to get fucking better at basketball. Um, hopefully the next yeah, time we see a, them, hopefully a, a BJ Boston, Chris Smith thing too. Yeah. The, good to they'll look good. Like I'm, I'm excited yeah. to see how this goes. Uh, here for Kentucky going forward, but uh, this will not be the last time we talk about Kentucky on this podcast, so I will give you the floor, Penny, to take number nine. Back to Sierra Canyon High School. I am yep. going to take, make sure I'm not wrong here, like fantasy football, you know, when you slide too far down, you take like right. the fifth running back and you slide, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm taking Zaire Williams from Stanford, six foot seven freshman, unfinished product, but I'm, I'm buying him long term. He's six foot seven, six eleven wingspan. Bill Walton called him George Gervin-like. Very good pull-up game. Smart smart player making reads. Knows how to play pick and roll with either hand. He's still a kid, too. Like, Brian Hamilton wrote an article on The Athletic. I don't know if this is the whole story with the knee brace, but, like, he said that he was riding his bike on campus to class because he was cold, and he hit a pothole, and he had one hand in his pocket and one on the handlebars and, like, fell over. It's like, I think a lot of times we forget these kids are, like, 18 years old. (laughs) Still getting into bike accidents on campus, and we're like, yeah, it's saying he's he's going to make her. He's not. His game's going to make a, another leap when he gets back to full strength and literally has his legs back under him. He, he showed some good stretches, hasn't put it all together. You, you hope that some added weight makes him score a little bit better at the rim, but I'm, I'm not giving up on it yet. To get him at this pick, I, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I agree. Like we've been saying for a while that we didn't think he was totally healthy. Uh, I think that what we've seen so far kind of enumerates that, right? Like he is more explosive than what we've seen so far from him. Right. I agree. Okay. Number n- number 10 for me now. 10. Yep. I'm going to go Scotty Barnes. Okay. Everything we saw from Scotty Barnes's opener against North Florida was what we expected to see. He went for eight points, six rebounds, and six assists. He was uh, very aggressive in transition. He was a really, really high-level passer for kind of a point forward. I don't really buy the point guard stuff with Scotty Barnes, but I do buy the fact that he can play as kind of a like point forwardy type. Florida State has the most Florida State roster like in history this year, because like there are times where they're playing like four guys between six foot five and six foot nine on the court at once. Uh, like their most used lineup in that game was Raekwon Gray, MJ Walker, Anthony Polite, Scotty Barnes, and Balsha. And yeah, Balsha is seven foot one. But like all the rest of those guys are like six five to six eight. Raekwon okay, Evans, great. MJ Walker, Anthony Polite, uh, Raekwon Gray, and Malik Osborne was their second most used lineup 
everyone between 6'5 and 6'9. Uh, they have Tanor Engom, who is a, I believe, Canadian center out of Ryerson, if I remember correctly. He's just an enormous wingspan. Um, the, the whole Florida State experience is going to be hilarious and fun this year, and they're going to be absolutely fucking miserable to play against. Uh, and Scotty Barnes is going to be the key piece of why they're miserable to play against defensively. He's genuinely a one through five defender. Everything we saw against North Florida showed that he's going to continue to be a super high level defender in college basketball this year. Yeah, we only have 24 minutes literally to scout him right now, and he plays Florida this weekend. I'm looking forward to that. I don't see him as a point guard either. I do think he's a legit point forward. He's a good teammate. He's well-liked. If you can get anything out of his jumper from distance, he'd be drafted higher. If you can get anything, if he is a 35% three-point shooter, he is a all-star, I would say. Heavy, yeah. I mean, he can actually create like with the ball in his hands, and he can really pass. Like If you give him a real jump shot, he is an all-star. I don't know that we're ever going to see him with a real jump shot, though. Like He might just get to the level that like Andre Iguodala has gotten to, which isn't quite good enough to reach that like super high level, even though I think Andre did make one all-star game. Yeah, and look, like I don't think Scotty is going to be as good as Iguodala because that's just an exceptionally high standard. But like, I'm just trying to think of guys that, you know, did a lot of these similar things that didn't quite have the jump shot and how did their careers work out? There's a pathway for these guys to be very valuable, but, um, you know, I think Scotty's, Scotty's a little bit further off with the jump shot than most of these players, but he does everything else so well that I would pretty happily take him at 10. Yeah. I had, I had him, uh, one spot lower. That's it. Yep. Cool. I had him at nine. So I'm pretty good to get him here. Great. So for me, the guy I had at eighth, who I'm going to pick next, this is a little bit of a, a shooter shot here. And he's also a shooter. I'm going with Moses Moody from Arkansas. Ooh, okay. Six foot five, shooting guard. I said it earlier. His numbers are higher because of his role on the must bus, like your boy yeah. Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe. So, like, I get it. But I don't know if I'd say floor because this guy hasn't played a, a game yet, but. The minimum you're getting a, a high level three and D wing in that Aaron Naismith mold, six six, seven foot wingspan. I just don't see a scenario where he doesn't get rotational NBA minutes. He's averaging seventeen and six, shooting forty six percent from the field, thirty eight percent from three, eighty six percent through free throw line. And also is after shooting one for six from three his first game. He's still catch and shoots his best bet. But he's physically stronger than he was in high school. He knows how to run the wing and stay wide. He scores some points in the offensive glass. The game's becoming a little bit more well-rounded in the NBA. They might pigeonhole him a little bit, but to show that he's able to do that is is pretty impressive. Just as impressive as just firing through my notes. This would mean, what pick is this? 11? Yeah, nine? 11. So Matt Verde Academy out of Florida will have three picks in the top 11 with Cade. Moses and Scotty Barnes. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely insane. And I had Moses at 18. So this is a little bit low for me or a little bit high for me. But he's been really good so far in the limited competition that Arkansas has played. Yeah, they're playing nobody. That that is true, too. Yeah, I mean, I I will say like his offensive game has looked a little bit more well-rounded than what I thought it was. Like, I thought he was purely 3 and D shoot shots 
and attack closeouts. And he's been able to do a little bit more with ball in hand than that so far. Um, like you said, very physically ready to play. He's also very, very young for this class. He's still 18 years old. His birthday isn't until like May. You would know that better than I would though, right? Not off my head. You are the encyclopedia, but he is, he is young for his class. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of reason to buy into Moses Moody. Like I don't hate this at all. It's a little bit higher than where I had him, but uh, I really like what I've seen from Moses Moody so far. And I'm actually going to kind of stay on the wings and freshman wings here. And I'm going to go Josh Christopher at number 12. Oh, okay. And yes, he has struggled to shoot it from distance this year. He's four of 15 from three. So small sample size, whatever, but he's made his free throws at 77%. Uh, he's pretty regularly been like a good enough three point shooter. Would that track with you? Yes. Good yeah, enough. Like, yeah. I mean, he, he's a bucket. He's getting his and good enough from three. Yeah. Yeah. And they've actually played relatively cu- tough competition. I mean, he dropped 28 on Villanova and looked absolutely phenomenal doing so. Uh, that was probably one of the best prospect performances I've seen all year. Uh, he was uh, able to get to any spot that he wanted against Villanova's defense. It was very, very impressive. He dropped 18 on a pretty solid Rhode Island team that uh, can actually defend at a reasonable level. Uh, he then, you know, dropped 14 points and three rebounds in his conference debut against Cal. And he wasn't awesome in that game necessarily, but he did everything that they needed from him as kind of a scoring leader next to Remy Martin and next to Marcus Bagley, who I think we'll talk about later on this podcast. So yeah, Josh Christopher's just done a really, really good job as a scorer. Uh, whenever he's engaged defensively, he does a really, really good job of making opposing players' lives difficult. He's definitely a bit more physically mature than most other freshmen. Like he's a solid, what do you want to say? 210, 210 yeah, pounds, strong something lower like half, that. Strong base. Yeah, strong legs. Yeah. So he's a bit more physically prepared to come into college basketball. But uh, when we're going through this list, it's just like it's hard to find guys that have been freshmen that have been strong and consistent and have been valuable throughout the course of this season. And Josh Christopher is one of them. I've really liked what I've seen from him. Yeah, the defense, a little shaky to me. I think he averages almost four fouls a game, too. It's like if you limit yeah. the reaching and the, the cheap fouls, that'll help. He's definitely an instant offense type of guy. I'm not 100% sure he starts right away in the NBA, but we predicted yeah. he'd get his in the preseason, and he has. I mean, and, and you're playing with Remy Martin and a guy who comes off ball screens and looks for you, too. That's helped him. In high school, he kind of had to, and he'll still pull the ball out and like do his own thing, create his own offense, but some of it's within the flow. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's go to number 13, Penny. Okay. I'm doing my scroll back here because he was lower. So 13, I had this guy. You uh, might crush me for this. I'm going to go with Terrence Clark. No, that's highest guy on my board. Okay. Six, seven, guard forward, creative. He's got a lot dumped into his lap at kentucky yep and he's he, he's been putting in different spots to kind of figure it out whether that's a score or now is he a point guard is he a facilitator do we use him more in, in this role as opposed to on the wing he does well using his length to score like boston he got off to a slow start from three hit three last game he gets into lane pretty regularly because of his his first step and he knows how to use yep. that soft floater 
with different releases to get the shot off. He's also one of these guys. He's going to get better with more complete players around him. As I saw in, in grassroots and in high school at, at Brewster Academy playing with other really high level guys that he doesn't, he doesn't need to have the full responsibility of, of creating scoring. He can play his role within a, a bigger team system. Yeah. I, I think this is a totally reasonable pick. Uh, I think he has been Kentucky's best player so far. I think that, you know, maybe some Kentucky fans will look at, uh, you know, maybe Isaiah Jackson is the guy that they've been most impressed with, but Terrence Clark has been very, very valuable in a difficult spot because for similar reasons to BJ Boston, like they just don't have any space and he's tough. He's strong. He is like, even though he is wiry, like I feel like he plays with strength. Would you agree with that? Yeah, wiry strength. That's yeah, fair. he doesn't like, get like when he when he goes to the lane, he'll use a floater. He'll get bumped a little bit, but not like completely bumped off his path like Zaire can be at times. Right, like there are guys who just don't play through contact all that well. I think that Terrence, despite being under two hundred pounds, let's say, uh. He plays through contact and doesn't really have an issue with it. He's tough. Uh, I think that he's actually been okay defensively so far. He's really, you know, kind of been a terror in passing lanes and has done like a pretty good job of making his presence felt there. But yeah, like I, I kind of like Terrence Clark still. I'm, I'm not out on Terrence Clark despite the fact that Kentucky has struggled so far. And here we are. We have two Kentucky guys still in the lottery despite the fact that they are one in three this season. And look, I couldn't have you draft the Boston guy. I had to do that, so I feel better about myself. <laughs> okay. Next up for me, I am going to go James Book Knight at fourteen. Oh wow! Yeah, yep. Is that higher than where you have? Nope. Him? Right, right on, right on. You, you picked my running back. Yep. Yeah, I have him at number twelve. Uh, he has been awesome. He has been uh, nineteen points a night, six rebounds. 35 from three, 80% from the line, uh, has done everything that Connecticut could have asked for from a lead scorer. He looks like a really high level scoring off guard. Still doesn't quite do enough defensively for me. Uh, he's still quite skinny. He's growing into his frame. Um, but the ability to be a shot maker from distance, I think, is really improving. Uh, he's upped his three-point volume considerably so far. He's taking twice as many threes per game this season as he did last season. And the ball looks good coming out of his hand. Uh, he has been, again, a terror in passing lanes, but it's he's not as solid positionally defensively because he can just get, get kind of blown through a little bit. But this is just a like scoring guard package that... I think is pretty strong and should be uh, should be pretty strong as we go toward the NBA uh, and projectable as we go toward the NBA because of his elite level bounce and first step athleticism as well as his shot making ability. Yeah, with both hands. I mean, he was only five for fifteen versus USC, so not a great game. He got going early and then didn't finish as well. This yeah. is also a bounce back year for him. I mean, he had some off the court issues. Last year, he's a believer in his ability. I saw a quote today. He said, my confidence, my confidence is at an all-time high. I feel like I have different abilities. Been working on my game all summer, getting stronger, faster, more explosive. Uh, I feel like we're in a good space right now. I'm in a good space. So to, to see a guy 
bounce back after some crap off the court and seemingly put it together. You, you like that too. Okay. Uh, you're up next at number 15. So we are out of the lottery. Ah, uh, the lottery. Okay. This is another like middle of the road hedge. I don't have a contract with the G League Ignite program. I may have to after this. I'm going to go with Dejan <laughs> Nix. Point sure. guard, six foot five, crafty, big ball handler, can be ball dominant. I made the point about Jalen Green. In retrospect, I wish he were at UCLA so we could watch him and evaluate him closer, but exceptional vision, sees the game a couple plays ahead, still needs to shore up the jumper and be able to make an impact on the game without the ball in his hands. But I like what I've seen thus far. Yeah, really. Strictly on the grassroots level. I mean, we, ha- we haven't. <laughs> what else have we really seen? Yeah, really crafty, high-level live dribble passer. Uh that makes me think that it would translate really well to the NBA. Like, are we worried about him getting separation at all at the next level? Yep. No, I am. I am. That's why I kind of put him right here at, at 14, 15, whatever it is, because if he had that real separation, maybe he goes a, a, a pick or two higher. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's always kind of relied on spins and Euro step as opposed to like the, yep. the jab and the blow by. Yep. Uh, yeah, this is fine. We haven't seen Dacia and Nick, so I don't know that it's worth like really diving deep on what no, he's done. don't have to. Yeah, number 16, I'm going to go Usman Garuba. He has been a little bit less effective this year for Real Madrid than he has last year. I haven't had time to like really dig deep into why that's the case, but in the tape that I've watched... You know, he's just been kind of a guy out there. And sometimes it's okay when you're a guy out there at 18 playing for probably the best team in the world outside of the NBA and Real. Uh, but given the fact that he's a six foot eight center that is still trying to develop a three point shot, it's not really there yet. Uh, and doesn't have like crazy lift. Like he's not some guy that's a crazy like pick and roll threat diver necessarily, despite the fact that he has, uh, what looks like something like a seven, two, seven, three wingspan at six foot eight. Uh, that's, that's concerning to me. Uh, what you do with Usman Garuba def- or offensively is concerning to me. The reason I have him this high is that he is a guy that a is playing a high level at Real Madrid and is a part-time starter for the best team in the world outside of the NBA. B he is one of the better young defenders that I've evaluated uh, at the European pro level. Uh, he just makes the right read consistently. He can slide his feet at a reasonable level uh, on the perimeter. Uh, he is instinctive and reactive as a rotational rim protector. I'm just really starting to get worried enough about what his offensive role is going to be to where it's worth dropping him like three or four spots to where he's just slightly outside of the lottery right now. Agree. I'm not going to even pretend to know any of the depth of, of his game background, et cetera, with, uh, with the Euro as you're the, I'm like the domestic scout at times you're the international scout. So I just, I'm going to go with your expertise there. Yeah. I'm going to have to like make some calls on him at some point to figure out like, is there something bothering him a little bit? But, um, no, nonetheless, uh, I'm going to be comfortable with him at 16 at the moment. So you go on ahead. You are up next at number 17. Yeah, this one's a little bit, it's higher and it, it's become this kind of like hot takey riser. I'm going to go with 
Marcus Bagley from Arizona State. Okay. Six foot eight forward. He's been an early surprise. I dismissed him almost like during his whole recruiting stuff, similar to what I did with LaMelo Ball. Because I was just like, ah, oh, you know, the brother's the show. This is the the little brother's going to be the best one thing. I didn't believe it. It happened with both of them. But Marcus is a great size for shooter at six foot eight. He's an athlete, but hasn't shown a ton of off the dribble stuff yet. Despite one game, he did have 14 free throw attempts. He's able to sit in that corner, just like Josh Christopher and get drives and kicks and have people make plays for him. He has great looking mechanics on a shot. It's, it's straight up and down, keeps his body square, his shoulders square, just been a, a surprise. And for the way he's built, I'm buying that for an NBA fit. Yeah, I had him at 23. So I think this is like a totally reasonable place yeah, to have him. Range. Yeah. 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 At the end of the day, like this is, like you said, it's right in the range. Um, where are we at? We're at, I want to say 18. 17. 18? Yeah. So well, I'm up at first, 18. So yeah, now. 17, 17 pick. Yeah, you're up at 18. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think 17 is fine. I had Bagley at 23. So. We're right in the range. Like, I think at this point, we're kind of, I don't want to say we're throwing darts necessarily, but it's going to be a lot more hit or miss from scout to scout. Uh, you nailed it in terms of what I like about Bagley. The jump shot just looks incredibly projectable for a guy who's six foot eight, 215 pounds. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just so smooth. It gets off of his hand easy. It has good rotation. Like, there's, there's nothing to make me believe that he's not going to be a high level three-point shooter at that size yeah totally and and the run off the line stuff and he is an athlete like you haven't seen these mega dunks yet but like he can do it i mean that was kind of a lot of the clips that i saw before even got to arizona state was him doing crazy windmills and open gyms and between the legs and for him to not that he wasn't a shooter before but now that shooting his calling card it's it's kind of like taking me aback that if he puts it all together maybe is a, a 15 a lottery guy Okay, so you went with the toolsy six foot eight shooting wing. I'm gonna go with the steadier, solid, smaller wing who looks like he is a tank out there on the basketball court. Uh, I'm gonna go Keontae Johnson at 18. Oh, okay. I, I was guessing a different one. All right. I have him at 15 personally. So okay. this is uh, a little bit lower than where I'd have Keontae. He's looked really good in their first two games. Uh, or I, I think they've played three now. I didn't watch Stetson. But I did watch Boston College and did watch Army. He was the best player on the court against Boston College uh, unequivocally. Like, I really liked what I saw from Trey Mann in that game. But Keontae just totally dominated everything in that entire game. He went for 24 and 12, really crashed the defensive glass, uh, really was effective as a spot-up driver and as a cutter. He knocked down a couple of threes. Everything about his game screams just really solid three and D wing, uh, at the NBA level. I'm like 10% concerned about the foot speed, but mm. as long as the foot speed at least gets to a reasonable level, he is absolutely going to be a high level rotation player in the NBA because guys who can shoot are smart defensively, uh, have this six foot five, 225 pound frame with long arms. It's just harder to find those guys than what you'd think, uh, across college basketball. Like what we've, 
You could say that maybe like Josh Christopher is one of them, but Christopher isn't quite as good defensively. You could say that Moses Moody is probably the guy that went ahead of this, that I would still take Keontae ahead of Moses Moody personally, but I think it's totally wow. reasonable to have, okay. I think it's still po- reasonable to have Moses Moody ahead of Keontae though, but like Keon Johnson isn't a shooter right now. Like th- this position, this three and D wing who can guard multiple spots like two through four across the perimeter this is what the nba is looking for still that we have not found enough of these guys and Keontae johnson's just sitting there and uh he went really underrated as one of the best players in the sec last year uh in conference play he was exceptional i think if you look at ken palm's algorithm he was the third best player in the sec last year uh fourth best i'm sorry like Keontae Johnson is legit. This is not a projection thing. This is, he is already fucking there and is a very, very good player who is essentially a professional playing college basketball right now. Grown man. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if we're getting like corny, I, I think he's kind of like the, the fuel for the Florida engine. He like makes them really go. He likes yeah. running that role as a trailer, almost like big to make plays and shoot threes if he's open, but he won't yep. force. He's a good interior passer. The one thing I'll just throw back to you is, are you 100% sold that he's wing, or can he be this like ultra small ball five in the Grant Williams type mold? Yeah, I worry that he's actually six foot five. Like, I think that really? there's a chance that like he's going to come in at like six, four and a half whenever he's, uh. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough for a small center, even if you're going small. So you're, yeah. you're him as like a six, four tank wing. I just yeah. I get Moses Moody I, I took really early, but I just think that that's totally transferable. That he's gonna like Moses Moody aside, he's gonna shoot. I just worry. I, I get. I know the whole thing's getting positionless, but still, kind of where does Keontae fit out there? I love what he does for Florida. I think he's fantastic. I'm just not as I had him at 21, so just a, a little yeah. bit lower than you. Yeah, no, we're in the same tier for Keontae. Yeah. So you're up. Uh, we're at 19 now. So 19, I'm going to go with Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky. Okay. A little bit higher than where I had him, but not too far off. But a pogo stick big. You don't need to run plays for him. Defensively, he blocks and alters a ton of shots. He's averaging eight points, 11 rebounds, three blocks a game. You had the numbers last time that I think somehow the defense was worse with him on the floor, which I don't really understand. He needs to round out some of those rougher edges offensively so he can be somewhat of a threat when left open. But if I'm in the late teens, in the 20s, the the best wings are off the board, and I want kind of a an energy guy for a playoff-type team. I like him there. Yeah, so I'm pulling up the on-off numbers now because they've obviously played Georgia Tech since then. I, I think that it's kind of easy to tell why Kentucky might be a little bit worse with him on the court defensively, uh, and they still are. They're still five points worse per 100 possessions. Uh with him on the court defensively. So a little bit better than what they were previously. But I think that what's happening is he just jumps and bites on every single pump fake. Oh, he's like a jumper. Yeah, yeah. Planet Earth. He recovers quickly, <laughs> but he does, he does bite on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of easy to get him out of position, at least momentarily. Uh, that's fine. He'll get better at that. And I think that by the end of the season, there's a, he is the guy that like we've talked about in this range where it's like, oh yeah, if he goes in the top 10, like that's not at all a stunner, right? Because there's a real chance that he 
figures out the solid defensive aspects of his game continues to add on the elite level shot blocking and rim protection and rebounding and they figure out how to use him as like a rim runner roller right totally yeah so that was number 19 uh isaiah jackson we've talked about him kind of at length on previous podcasts though right yes we have so uh in number 20 i'm gonna go david johnson from louisville uh, this is a little bit lower than where I have him. I have him at, I think, 16 or 17 right now. He's had two really, really good games. He's had two games where it seems like Louisville was still trying to figure out how to use him uh, next to Carly Jones. The big thing for David Johnson is that, uh, you know, people at Louisville says say that he can really shoot now. And if he can really shoot, I believe in him as a very, very high level second side distributor who could rise up into the lottery uh, against Western Kentucky. He went for 17 points, eight assists, six rebounds against Prairie view. He went for 19 points, six assists, three rebounds against Seton hall though. He was, you know, in foul trouble a little bit early and seemed like he didn't quite know where his, role was but over the last two games he's really accepted that second side make a quick decision uh maybe out of second side ball screen or out of an advantage situation where a defender is closing out heavily on me get into the lane collapse the defense make a high level kick out pass he still is one of the best passers in college basketball in terms of translatability to the nba just in the way that he sees those like cross corner kickouts and specific dump off passes that are always there in the NBA. So yeah, I, I really believe in David Johnson and I'm excited to see where the shooting kind of settles in because if he is uh, the kind of shooter that Louisville thinks he is, uh, he has some real ceiling based off the last two games that we've seen from him. And a different player when he's healthy too. I mean, he, he battled that last season with his jumper. He has hit, you probably have pulled up. I think he's hit four threes this year, and he hit five all of last season. So he's clearly put time into the gym. He's shooting 46% of the field. The turnover numbers are still high. can force it a little bit. I think it's around yep. three. But he does look confident pulling up. He scores versus smaller guards in the post. He extends, extends well in the lane through contact. I like his size from the guard position. I am a little bit lower in the 20s, but I, I get the, the intrigue that you take him at, what, 20? 20, yep. Yeah. Okay, we're just a few spots off. Not too yeah, bad. and I, I had him at seventeen, uh, looking at it. So yeah, I'm I'm higher on this even than David, or higher on David Johnson than this even. So yeah, uh, you're up at twenty one. Yourself, yeah. Uh, this one might break your heart. You might say it's a little high. I don't care. I'm with Corey Kispert from Gonzaga. Yeah, I had him at twenty. Uh, he was not right. my next player, but Are he we was the, same the person? second. Player. I don't. This is the. I don't like people are just going to be like, you have one list. You're taking turns reading off. <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, we have our own lists, but Corey okay, Kispert, I think, is a uh, great pick here. Yeah, totally reasonable. He's a, he's the do it all senior. Projected right around the 30s last year. Has rounded out his game more. Does everything within the flow. You can't leave him open. He knows where to go off the bounce. He fits in with the team as an off-the-bench shooter in the NBA, to me, that can space the floor. And we have to mention that he was a former high school football player whose grandfather played at the Jets, so he's also football tough. I, I just think that, again, in, in this range, you're dealing with playoff contenders. We're looking for shooters. We're looking for guys to to fill that value-add role, and, and he's a good guy here. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a 
damn close, if not a 50-40-90 guy this year. Uh, he is awesome. He's so good offensively. He's added that ability to attack closeouts. He's added that little Euro step uh, that looks like it's going in slow motion, but is really, really tough for defenders to stay in front of, apparently. Uh, very rarely dunks, despite the fact that he actually has a little bit more burst uh vertically and pop vertically than what i think he gets credit for uh yeah i have him at 20 i think this is a totally reasonable pick and i would probably uh i would not be surprised if he turns into a high level uh you know second or third wing on an nba team that just knocks down 44 percent of his threes uh we're gonna send him some joe harris clips in the offseason just be this do this oh he's already watching them like there you go. You already said confirm. Yeah, same person. Yeah. There you go. Um, okay, number twenty-two. I think we're yes. at Trey Man for me, and this is probably aggressive. Do you have Trey Man on your board? I will. Full disclosure: I don't. When we were talking pre-podcast, you said his name. I said that's somebody I meant to put over here. I like filled in pretty well. Uh, he was great in that Boston College game. Score a combo. I'll let you take the lead here, but his kind of had the the breakout season that I didn't necessarily anticipate out of him. Yeah, great in both the Army and Boston College games. Again, I did not watch the Stetson game, but uh, looks to have grown. Like he looks like he's like six foot five, six foot six now, as opposed to being like the six foot three, six foot four, like combo guard that he was in high school. Uh, he is that big. He can shoot it. He can make pretty good passing reads and, uh, his shiftiness with the ball in hand is just insane. His, he is such a tight ball handler. He gets in and out of his moves so quickly. Uh, this, I think he has a real shot to like burst up the board. And like, if you told me Trey man, goes higher than James Booknight, I would not be surprised because... Oh, hot take. Fire it up. I like it. Okay, so Another here's... See, see, see if people go nuts. I'm not, I'm not arguing it because he's played three games, four games. Like, they have Florida State this weekend. If you if he has a breakout game against those guys and, like, yeah. those athletes and Scotty Barnes, you'll start seeing that pop up places. So... Here, here would be, like, the Trey Man case versus James Booknight. And I don't even know that I... I certainly don't even know that I agree with this yet. Uh, we have too small of a sample on Trey Man, right, uh, right. which is why I have him a little bit lower, but or at least this version of Trey Man. They're Trey Man and Book Knight are about the same size, right? Like they're somewhere like six foot five, sure. six five, hundred and eighty-five yeah. pounds, right? Do we think they're pretty close as jump shooters? Because I think they are. Right. Yes. I don't know if you're reading me down like a laundry list of things, but I'd say yes. Uh, Trey man is like unequivocally a better ball handler. Like it's not even, they're not even yes. in the same stratosphere as ball handlers. Like Trey man is a lead guard. James book Knight is a secondary playmaker to guard who probably needs to improve as a ball handler a little bit. Right. Hard to, to me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, book Knight is more explosive. Trey man is quicker. I would say. Yes, Book Knight definitely more explosive. But it's like Trey, Trey Man's not a bad athlete, but the way yeah, 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 yeah. Book Knight uses both hands, both feet, yes. Yeah. Uh, Book Knight's a better finisher than 
Trey Mann is just because he can finish above the rim and Trey Mann doesn't really finish above the rim. I really think that if Trey Mann's shooting is real, it's easier to project a guy who can be a super high level passer, super high level ball handler and shooter than it is like high level athlete who is a good shooter, not a great shooter. Uh, who is like a great cutter, but is still improving on the ball. Like you can just kind of do more with someone like Trey Mann if the shooting and like the decision-making continues down the track that it has so far this year. I'm with that. Somebody tweeted at us too, after one of the pods, we watched Trey Mann and I did, and I just whiffed on putting him on here, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to, to track and see more. And maybe after 10 games, we look at it and it's closer than it is now. Yeah. Um, all right. You're up at 23, I believe. Yes. I'm at 23. We've talked about him before that from 23 to 30, we're kind of just, this this to me is like the dart range though. Could you close on that? So I'm going to throw a dart. My first dart is going to be Kai Jones from Texas. (laughs) That's really funny. I was so excited to break your heart by taking Kai Jones at 24. Oh, I broke yours with Cody Kispert and I got Terrence Clark. So this is going swimmingly for me. But it's like every time I have a fantasy draft, I think it goes well. I'm the worst team imaginable. Hope this is not the case for Kai Jones. I shot my shot that he's the best pro post prospect on Texas. He's come back down down to earth a little bit. He's now only shooting 86% from the field, but (laughs) he's an efficient score shooter where he picks his spots. Matt Coleman's the alpha there and will get him the ball in the right positions to be successful, but he's long. He's athletic. He runs the floor hard. He doesn't have a block yet, which is unfathomable to me. Like I, I don't get it. Like he had a ton of blocks when he was at Brewster Academy. Uh, he shows potential in pick and roll traps. He has to put all these tools together consistently to use. But if we're building what we think a center should look like in the NBA, it's probably him with a little bit more rim protection other than like altering shots at the rim. Yeah. So to get him at, at 23, I'm, I'm satisfied with this. Yeah, by the way, he finished 10th in the Big 12 last year in blocks per game, despite the fact that he played 16 minutes a night. Perfect. <laughs> so, like, a- adding to the case. But if you also said, like, he's going back to school or he's going like 45th, I'd agree with that too. But yeah. based on the small set, like, I-, I see it potentially getting here. Yeah. Kai's a tough one because it is still very theoretical. Like, everything he does. 100%. But the upside is insane. Like, there are very few guys who can do the shit that he does at six foot 11. He can take like a pump fake into a one dribble pull up from 15 feet. Like, he can actually take a euro step while attacking a closeout and finish with a dunk at the basket. Like, his his upside is remarkable to me. Like the fact that they're playing Jericho Sims ahead of him is is as unfathomable to me as Kai Jones having zero blocks this year is unfathomable yeah. to you. Yeah, and he shoots eighty six percent of the field. And one of the shots he missed when I was watching was down the right side. It was like a three. They gave him a little bit more space. 
that he needed to get it off. He gets it off and it like goes in and out. So it's like, he's yeah. probably like an 89% shooter. But even like his recovery stuff too, like he gets beaten the way he recovers back on the play. That uh, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for the the Kai Jones train. I just hope it doesn't take off too quickly. Yeah, and he is a guy that could probably be helped by staying in college basketball next season. But yeah, we know that doesn't happen though. Yeah, the tools are just absolutely. I, I mean, it doesn't happen if guys are like I should probably get another year. It's just rare that if you're projected yeah. first, like a hard first, guys generally take it. Okay, my next guy is his teammate Greg Brown. Greg Brown has not been great this year. Uh, he has dropped, I think, ten spots on my board so far. Like he's really, really fallen. Uh, shooting 12% from three despite taking a ton of them 43 and a half true shooting percentage he's making free throws so like maybe that's like some solace he is blocking shots I think he's actually been okay defensively he's been a really good defensive rebounder as well uh he's not like whereas with BJ Boston like BJ has struggled to make an impact because he doesn't defend and pass. Greg Brown also does not pass, but Greg Brown, when he's on the court, is not like destroying Texas because he doesn't do anything other than score. He does provide energy and effort and like defensive acuity. I just have some real worries about the jump shot long term because i don't really like the mechanics i don't like that like exaggerated elbow bend uh where he brings the ball back all the way like toward his neck it seems like uh they are so much worse with him on the court defensively that it's pretty staggering right now so yeah i uh he's so much worse i will take him with the 24th pick in the nba draft they they are a lot worse with him offensively (laughs) on the court they are Averaging 104 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court offensively and 121 when he's off the court offensively. Um, yeah, he, he like, he must shoot it really well in practice because he, he, it seems like he wants to prove he's a three point shooter and he's two for 17. Right. So it doesn't seem like they're telling him to slow down and gets about four fouls a game, but does have eight rebounds, does have active hands and movement on the perimeter. He's he's figuring out. He's young as a freshman. He's figuring out how to use his natural gifts, his athleticism. Just hasn't lived up to the billing yet. I had him twenty seven. He's still a first round talent for me. Just the the actual production's not there. Well, the the problem for him is too. Like it's very obvious what he wants to do every time he touches the ball, and I think coaches have figured it out. Like he wants to either shoot the three off the catch, or he wants to pump fake and drive left. That's literally right. all drive he has. Drive left and finish back right with his right. It's like weird. Yeah. It's like a, a left drive and spins his body back and goes right. You know, like he'll put it together and start doing rip throughs and two dribbles into a dunk. You just it hasn't. You haven't seen it, and you don't really need it from him yet either. Based on they won the Maui Asheville Invitational, they lost a tough one last week uh, to Villanova, right? And they had to come yeah, back. They're to really good. Point. Like, yeah, no, really good. Really good. Like team. Matt Coleman looks like a potential All American. He is really, really good. Yeah, no, he's a dude. Yeah. So, and Kai Jones, as we've talked about, has been great. Like Courtney Ramey has been really, really good for them so far. Uh, yeah, Jericho. He, he wants to, he wants to take the big shot, too. Yeah, like Jericho Sims, Royce Ham, like these guys have been useful big men for them 
this year, even though like playing Jericho Sims over Kai Jones is weird to me. Uh, Brock Cunningham has been pretty useful for them, even though he looks like the most awkward player on like planet Earth that is effective. So I, yeah, uh, Jer- Jeremiah Robinson are all liked when Brock Cunningham was covering him. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, so yeah, Texas is really good. Uh, and the fact that they don't have any top 20 guys is like kind of weird to me. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at in college basketball right now. You are up at number 25, Matt. 25, another dart for you. I'm going with Jalen Wilson from Kansas. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's the range. Sophomore. Yeah. Haven't seen him yet. He will. The next round of everyone's mock drafts, he'll be there. He wasn't on any draft boards and really kind of like considered somewhat of an afterthought with Marcus Garrett and Agbaji this season. Averaging 16 and 9, 50% from the field, 39 from three. 62% of the free throw line. I think just simply put, he won that Kentucky game in the second half. Yep. And he won the Creighton and game he, too. Yeah, very true. I mean, size in the wing, he's had some success up front. I mean, it's like perfectly 2020 that Bill Self has run the best high-low offense of all time and has been forced to go small, and he's playing the five and scoring baskets in the post and spinning and then hitting the three. Can guard multiple spots. Does he continue on this when you play 15 games? I'm not sure yet, but if the draft was tomorrow, I like him here. Yeah. What do we think of his jumper? He has like a very skinny base, but it's gone in so far. Skinny base is gone in. If you read any of the the Kansas stuff, like the beat writers and the people in the area, they're all kind of like already saying like, yeah, I don't know if he really shoots it as well as he has been. Yeah. But it's it's hard to just completely dismiss it right now when it is close to 40%. Yeah, no, I mean, he went 23-10 and 10 against both Creighton and Kentucky. Uh, he was not bad in that can- in the Gonzaga game. Like, he was fine. Uh, he went, I want to say, 14-15 and 15 against North Dakota State in what was a close game. Like, they really needed him to yeah, be as we, good as he was uh, in that game. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... Whereas like Duke and Kentucky are kind of like searching and that guy hasn't revealed himself yet. Like the big revelation for Kansas was like, oh man, like this kid's probably better than we thought. He's a top 50 recruit, was going to go to Michigan, decommitted when John Beeline left to go to the NBA, looked at North Carolina, looked at Kansas. Obviously they wanted him, but I think people would tell you're crazy if you said year one, he's going to come in average 16 to nine, potentially be gone if he didn't get hurt in redshirt last year. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned earlier that you think Jalen Suggs is the guy that has helped himself most. Uh, I mean, it's hard for me to get past Jalen Wilson being. No, that's that guy. a good point. I mean, Suggs probably went from like twelve to three or four. This guy went from undrafted to first round pick. Yeah, like he went from. I don't know that he is going to be a starter on a Kansas team that we all have questions about to holy shit this guy might be a first round pick he didn't like he wasn't a starter yeah yeah like it's it's a wild rise for jalen smith or jalen wilson i'm sorry um a completely wild rise that uh even like people around the kansas program like you kind of mentioned that like they don't know if he's going to shoot like people around the kansas program i've talked to like did not see this coming it's like him being their guy. It's a pl- pl- pleasant surprise. Yeah. Uh, I love it. It's it's amazing. Uh, I am up next. I'm going to go Io Sunmu at 26. 
Did you have IO on your uh, top 30? I did not. So here if I is... just watched the game last night, I'd say probably. I mean, he was fantastic last night. Slashing, yeah. rebounding, scoring. And but he yeah, was I did not have him on my board. Valuable against Baylor, too. He went for 18-6-5 and five in that game. Uh, they've played two good opponents, and he's been awesome in both games. Uh, I really love the toughness. I think he competes defensively. He is six foot five, and he's got to be 200, 205, 210 pounds now. Uh, they have him often guard like up the lineup now because they're playing guys like Trent Frazier and Andre Corbello and Adam Miller. And by the way, Andre Corbello is another guy that like, I don't know if he's a 2021 guy, but he looks like he might be a real first round pick down the road at some point. Yeah. I love, I love him. He's got to shore up the turnover stuff and he is, he is still small, but I, I love the way he attacks. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's probably a year away. I think though, like, I, I don't know that he's a 2021 guy, but the Sunmu, uh, he brings real versatility. You can have him guard, uh, ones, twos, and threes, I think pretty easily. Uh, he's shooting 42% from three so far. He's eight of 19. Like the shot looks better than what it did. He's passing it at a high level. He's finishing at a high level. He's making 82% of his free throws. Uh, this is everything that you're looking for from like a third guard in the NBA. As long as the jump shot stays at like a 37% clip, like he's a really, really good player. And he is very much in the mix, I think for the national player of the year race. Yeah. Just can be a little bit wild. You want to kind of channel that a little bit, but does play with a level of relentlessness, chasing down loose balls and keeping plays alive. And he started that break a few times last night. He's really good making passes in transition too. just the simple bounce pass. He threw another lob on a different possession. I mean, they rolled out with Duke with a 14 to two run and there was no slowing them down. Yeah. Can, can we talk about how coach K lost Duke that game last night? No, I mean, <laughs> we can, but in, in short, yeah. I mean, the one time to ever stay small, they go big with Mark Williams, put Jalen Johnson on the wing. You can't stop the bleeding. It's 14 to two. It's a timeout. Now they sub out Kofi. Now you go small. And now it's too late. Now, like, Kofi's going to come back full strength in four minutes. Well, that and w- what are you thinking playing Mark Williams against Kofi? He can't establish position against Kofi. They tried to put Mark Williams on an island against Kofi. They didn't even help down or dig down with their wings onto Kofi whenever he got the ball on the block. Like, that was one of the most baffling coaching decisions I've seen in a couple of years was to not play small and try and play Kofi off the court. Like, it's not like Matt Matt Hurt is a considerably worse post defender at this stage of his career than Mark Williams. No, it's it, the Duke slander is tough for me. I grew up a, a huge Duke fan with pictures on my wall, so I'll, I'll let you slice. Back you know what, I, though? Like, uh, look, I did too, but yeah. like, I, I, I'm, I was totally right there with you, but I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Don't meet your heroes. Don't meet your heroes. Yeah. So um, I, I did. Th- I think that Ayo had a hard time in that Baylor game with Mark Vital guarding him and pick and roll. He's kind of yeah. pushed out to beyond where he wanted to start the offense. So they end up doing this like PNR, like really far out where it like negates the whole point of it. You yep. just need more of the, the good version of him from last night. I know he's all over the place. You have him in the first round. A lot of the places have him second. A couple places have him undrafted if he's national player of the year if illinois continues on this trajectory 
I don't see him going undrafted. I don't know how much higher he goes than than you have him, but he'll find a, a landing spot somewhere. Okay, you're up next. Uh, we're at 27. I am. I'm going straight scoring right here. I'm going Cam Thomas from LSU. Yep. Six next foot guy three, for me freshman as well. Guard, perfect. Instant offense scorer, had 2,200 points at Oak Hill Academy in two years while averaging 31 points per game. He also led the Nike EYBL in scoring. He rolls out of bed and gets to 20. He had 23 points per game right now this season, shooting 48% from the field, 40 from three. He's put on at least 15 pounds of muscle since being on campus, and you can read about all this stuff down there about how committed he is to working out. Very confident game, pulls up from anywhere without thinking twice. He's not a point guard at six foot three. He's going to have to be that combo next to a bigger guard, but a guy that you can see coming off the bench and wreaking havoc in the NBA. Yeah. If you told me he really jumps up over the course of this year, I would not be surprised. I just want to see him play better players, to be honest. Yes. Like yes. That, that's where I'm at. Uh, I, I don't. They just haven't played anyone, really. As soon as they yeah. play I mean, someone he, and he keeps. Right. They're in the SEC. They're like, they'll, they'll play some guys. Yeah. Yeah, like as soon as he keeps doing this against actual opponents, like he could jump up into the top 20 pretty easily, but he could also like just slide if he's not quite as good as what we've seen so far. So I think that this is the right spot. He's been exceptional so far as a scoring guard, though. I really like what we've seen from Cam Thomas. Yep. Okay. Number 28, I think, is going to surprise you a little bit. Um, I'm going Dayron Sharp. No, I had him 20. I had 25. Yeah. Um, but just like given who I am, like I hate drafting bigs in general. Um, I wasn't really a Dayron Sharp fan coming into this season. Uh, he's been better than what I thought. And it's because he's been more well rounded than what I thought he was. Like, yeah, he can't shoot, but he's a little bit more mobile. He is a much, much, much better passer and like playmaker than what I thought he was. He's a better rim protector, like rotationally than what I thought. Like I thought he'd come in and be like pretty lost, but he's not lost at all. Um, I think he's like proven himself to be North Carolina's best prospect, even though I really liked Caleb Love coming into the year. Like Daron Sharp has been really good at a lot of the things you need a modern big to be good at and he showed his moments last night too with garza i mean he had 13 and 6 he has to limit his fouls he's only average 8 and 7 for the year but has showed glimpses that he can do it if you're late 20s he's worth the gamble as a rotational five this late in the draft yeah i thought he was every bit as good as luca garza last night if not better yeah um just iowa shooters were ridiculous yeah, like, Luca Garza was not very good last night. Like, I know that college basketball writers were falling over themselves to be like, oh, yeah, even in an off night, Luca Garza had 14 points and 15 rebounds. He <laughs> was fucking Keon terrible Johnson, yeah. in that game. <laughs> yeah, he was, like, he was okay. He wasn't terrible, but I hadn't. All I'd seen was, like, the clips of, oh, he had 30 in the first half. He finished with 41. Finished with, so I was, like, buckled up, like, okay national tv you're playing against at least bigger better bigs like let's see it and he still could score he still got a shot off but yeah the spin was like he's winning the battle below the rim it's like well i hope so like what else he's not winning the battle above the rim uh i was was, was he winning the battle below the rim he shot six <laughs> of 20 from the field <laughs> yeah. well he like, got the position he got the position anyway in, in the paint 
But yeah, and maybe then, he lost that battle too. Like his transition defense is a real problem. Like North yeah, Carolina a story about how the dad would like time him running up and down with a stopwatch and yeah, I don't know. And look, like none of this is to even say that like I think he's not a good player. Like I think Luca Garza is a really, really good player. I think that he is probably the second best player in college basketball behind Cade Cunningham. But like when he doesn't play well, we're allowed to say that Luca Garza was not very good in a game. Like it's okay yeah, and, to say that. And that, <laughs> and that team was put together so well that like yeah. he can not play well. I know they're home and you have the soft rims that you're used to, but he could kick it out, and if you double down or you dig down, he kicks it out to Bohannon or to, to Weiss Camp, and those guys just kept coming at you. Yeah, like, he was very clearly their fourth best player last night. Like, C.J. Frederick went 8 of 11 from the field and made five threes. Jordan Bohannon dropped 24 points. Joe Weiss Camp was 5 of 7 from 3 with 9 rebounds and 5 assists. Like They're, they're 11 for 22 in the first half, because I remember seeing it before, yeah. like, my snack run. I was like, how bad was this? Like, oh, that was bad. Yeah. But, no. but if you're Fran McCaffrey, you're Iowa, you're happy with that. Like, your national play of the yeah. year was okay, okay plus, and you still won. No, he, North Carolina. Yeah. he was bad. Like, it's okay to say Luka Garza was bad in that game because he was. I'm on the point in my quote-unquote career to say it was bad yet, but, like, he wasn't great. Yeah. He was not good in that game. It's He's a great player who did not play well, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. And I, he's, like, helped himself in my estimation over the course of this year on some level. And, like, the more that I think about Luka Garza and how it's going to work in the NBA, I'm still very skeptical. Like, but I would draft him at this point. Like, I, I second, would draft him second round ish. Yeah, in the second round at some point. But it, like, it, it's okay to say when a guy doesn't play well. Like, we need to be able to do that and just acknowledge that it's okay when a guy does not play well. And we're not like shitting on the guy. He's still an exceptional player who is still unbelievably good. But like, he was. A real problem for Iowa on the court at times last right. night. Yeah. And to go full circle, guess where Daron Sharp went to high school? He went to Montverde, so that's four. Montverde. We have. Four in the first round. Is that more than any college team? Or, yeah, probably. Yeah, is. it is. It Quickly. 100% yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But shout out Luca Garza. Like, I'm glad that Luca Garza. Shout is. out Luca. We're in your corner. Yeah. Like, Luca, I, and- Luca Garza makes college basketball good. Yeah, and like Iowa fans get angry with me because I'm like, yeah, he's not really a pro prospect. And yeah, I thought Obi Toppin was more effective than he was last year. Um, Luca Garza is a great player. Uh, he's exceptional at basketball and he's exceptional at college basketball, particularly. But like, it, it's okay. He played at an unbelievable level through Iowa's first four games and averaged like 38 a night or whatever. Yeah, right. And then last night against. North Carolina, he was not very good. Like It's got to stop at some point. Yeah, it's okay. Um, we're up to number 29 for you. So this is my, I just la- this is my last show. pick? Yep, this is your last pick. All right. I have a guy at 24. I'm torn here. I can't not take him. I'm going to take Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Okay. Villanova, I- forward, six foot nine. He flirted with the draft last year. 16 points per game. Nine rebounds per game. King of the mid-range. Has been doing a lot of like 15-footer stuff. I want him to extend a little bit more. Not a super athlete. Learning to move his feet better to defend in space. Very unselfish player. Yeah, I think he had like maybe 
two games ago, I want to say he had two points, but doesn't affect the the type of guy that he is. Moves the ball. He won't kill your offense. High character guy. If I can get him 29 for maybe the team that lost in the NBA Finals, that's a great fit. Okay, number 30, I'm going to go Caleb Love uh, out of North Carolina. Uh, Caleb Love has not been very good this year. Like Again, we can just say that he looks great in the open court and he looks great as a catch and shoot three-point shooter but anytime he has to run half court offense it's been kind of a train wreck um 37.7 true shooting percentage 24 and a half turnover rate uh he is only four of 23 from three but i mean you would agree with me that he's a much better shooter than that like he's proven it at lower levels and he is like like the ball looks pure as shit coming off of his hand. Yeah, I I just I don't know what you do with him. The game's wide open. He's great. He flies around, makes plays. Even if the ball scored, he can get it and go. But just when the game is shrunk down to the half court, he can play slower. He looks a little bit more lost. I mean, they run that horn set a lot for him that he can turn the corner, pick and roll. He showed a few defensive lapses here and there. Just far from. He's, he's not the guy that I, I thought he'd be this year, but I'm not yeah. writing him off yet either. Yeah, th- that's why we have him at 30. Like He's dropped probably more than any player on my board so far this year because he just doesn't look ready for college basketball at this stage. But you know, hopefully he figures it out. Who are some of the guys that you left off? Yeah, a, a couple. I'll just mention three quick, quick ones. Chris Smith from UCLA, I really yep. liked. I had him at 25, 26. That just couple international guys. AO jumped up, so he bumped down the board. Uh, who else I got here? And, yeah, and, I Chris yeah, Smith he came, at 30, so yeah. Yeah, he came back to school. He's young for his class. Uh, good length, good size for the wing. Late bloomer. Didn't have a great game against Matt Mitchell, but I'm, I'm still a somewhat believer. Hasn't well, he's played great against in- Kessler Edwards and was great against uh, yes. Cal in their Pac-12 opener as well. Yeah. I also had Earl Timberlake, a little bit older for a freshman. He just turned 20. Has like that man's frame build that fits the modern NBA. Plays with an edge, hard to stop a transition. Utilize him in the half court, and then the other one. I know maybe a, a touch high, but Aaron Henry from Michigan State. The shooting's not there. He was one for twelve from three, but he completely changed that game against Duke using his length, attacking both ends of the floor. The rest of the package, I'm buying. Just the the jumper's not there. Yeah, two guys uh, on the international front for me uh josh giddy and roko percasson uh roko's been pretty good so far for sabona uh he's shooting 50 percent from the field 14.2 points seven and a half rebounds uh he is i, I believe a teenage captain for that team so nice. really high level uh character kid he's also just like kind of a six foot nine combo big so he's really going to have to shoot it, and he's only shooting like 32% from three so far. Uh, projectable shot, though, so it's possible that he continues to rise up the board. Uh, Josh Giddy is going to play over here in the NBL. I've, he just hasn't played yet this year, and honestly, I think I'm a li- I was a little bit high on him in the mock draft that I did in the preseason. Uh, the final Euro guy that I want to at least mention is Alperen Sengun out of turkey he uh is playing for besquitas and averaging 24 20.4 points and 10.3 rebounds that is like pretty ridiculous production levels for a teenager yes in turkey uh he 
I believe is leading the league in points and is second in rebounding at the moment. So I haven't gotten a chance to watch him enough yet to where I can like really feel confident ranking him. Uh, but it's worth at least mentioning him in something like this, because like there's a chance that he's just like way, way better than where we have him, especially if he, uh, continues along this trajectory that he's seemingly on right now who who do you think the guy is that we will get the most hate for not having mm, jared butler maybe baylor yeah butler's up there uh jared butler that's, is that's probably my name uh yeah i'm looking i mean we we still mentioned chris smith still mentioned aaron henry uh turned shannon jr maybe yeah, yeah top- Springer only played nine. Springer played nine minutes last night. It's hard to say. You know, he had six points or something. It's hard to say what he nets out at. Yeah, some somewhere in that range. Yeah, Butler's a top thirty-five guy. Uh, I want to mention Deuce McBride at West Virginia. Uh, had a really really strong start to the season. Uh, shooting forty-one percent from three was excellent against Georgetown on the road earlier this week. Um, was really, really good against South Dakota State, was really good against Western Kentucky as well in the game that I watched. Struggled a bit with Gonzaga, though, unfortunately. Um, by yeah, the way, right. yeah. yeah, for sure. Uh, West Virginia has not played a team outside of the top 100 yet. So shout out Bob Huggins. Huggy, he fills in these games. Teams drop. They're like, we're on our way. Just yeah. give us the address. We'll type it into Google Maps. We'll be there shortly. Yeah, we'll take a fucking bus. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> yes. I'm trying to think, is there anyone else that's like really stood out as a high level prospect? Uh, I, I was high on Franz Wagner coming into the year. Yeah, he's I, on the list. Yeah. Yeah, he's not quite there yet, I don't think. Wagner, maybe Josh Primo, Alabama. We talked about just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got to see more Scotty Lewis. DJ Stewart's just been all right. Musa Sise, you, you kind of bumped down. Yeah, DJ Stewart, I bumped down quite a bit. Musa Cisse, I've bumped down. Um, Watford's down probably in the forties. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't really see it. Like DePaul hasn't. I don't think that DePaul's played yet because of COVID stuff. So Romeo Weems is somewhere in the forties. Trace Jackson Davis has had his moments. Matt Hurt's had his moments. Yeah, we should talk about Matt Hurt actually, real quick. Um, this was probably. <laughs> This is like the best case scenario start for Matt Hurt, right? This year, like he's averaging, uh, 19 points on 54% from the field, 41 from three and 73 from the line. Uh, like he's been the lead go-to scorer for Duke in the way that like everyone hoped he would be, right? Unquestionably, yes. Like I, I would have him somewhere in my top forty right now because he is six foot nine. He's probably two hundred and twenty five pounds, and he is a forty percent three point shooter, and that plays at the next level. But yeah, I mean, not quite there uh, defensively. No, not 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 quite stage. defensively. He can against more athletic guys still get a shot off. Not going to blow by you, but can get to kind of some spots on the court. Does have a little bit limited lift on his jumper, but a high release. It's not like it's getting blocked. And you want production out of Jalen Johnson. You want production out of TJ Stewart. But he's been the guy that's really answered the call as someone consistent night in, night out thus far on Duke. 
Yeah. And he's been good in the big games as well. Like they have played, uh, what against Illinois and Michigan state and he's averaging 20 points in those games. And yeah, 21 and 19. Yeah. Yep. Been pretty efficient in those games. So yeah, it's at least worth mentioning Matt hurt within the context of this conversation. And, uh, he's, he's done what he could have hoped to have done so far this year to put himself in a better position. Trending upward. Yeah. Uh, I think that's all I've got. Do you have any other like hot takes you have to get off your chest here before we depart? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't have hot takes. That was one of our like marathon sessions of podcasts. I have plenty of other stuff that we can get into and I'm sure we'll do this exercise again. Postseason for sure. I don't know if we'd say during the season, but we have a, a, a long list of guys to still follow up on and, there's still some good games out there. Uh, I love Sunday night of Stanford USC with yep. Zaire Williams and and Evan Mobley, and you still get Texas Baylor. Yeah, we're just knocking a wood across our fingers. There's still games happen, and uh, hopefully, got to feed to the G League bubble eventually to justify me taking two guys in the, the top <laughs> five. We'll definitely do this again, probably sometime in like mid to late January. Uh, and then maybe going into the tournament as well, just because it's fun and it's uh, always worth updating where we are uh, for the podcast listeners. But uh, Penny, tell the people where they can find what you've got going on in your life. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. I have love for refs. I have love for everybody in the basketball community. Uh, don't yell at me. Tell us what you talk about next time. We're, we're there. We're interactive. Yeah, Matt is the uh, Matt is not the fire starter. That I am, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you're, you're lighting the fire. You're burning the building down. I'm running behind you with an extinguisher. Be like, no, he's not bad. He's okay. <laughs> Follow Matt Penny on Twitter. We got to get Matt Penny up over 1,000 Twitter followers. Uh, I MP feel like you. MP1K. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you've kind of grown in terms of following over the course it's of the last sneaky, little while. Yeah. No, it's sneaky crept up by a couple hundred since I've. I've been on here, but again, I think once it gets over a thousand, it's, it's less of a, a swing to talk to your editors and be like, Hey, like my, my friend with 700 followers wants to come back on. It's like, ah, this again, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm Sam Vecini. This has been the game theory podcast. We will have the second half of our off season review with Danny LaRue coming later this week. Next week, we're going to do win total over unders with Robbie Calland. Uh, and then the week after that, I'm not real sure what we're going to do because I'm actually on vacation that week and we'll see what I end up recording. I don't know. The NBA season is supposed to start then. Uh, and I am on vacation for the first like seven or eight days of the NBA season. So we'll see what I can bring together. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.